0: And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome, everybody, everybody, to Spirituality Adventures. We're so glad you you joined. And today we have Brian Carroll. Brian and I met about two months ago. I did a funeral um for his father-in-law did i say that right did i get it right is that all right yeah so uh bill fletcher went to a church that i pastored uh his wife carol sweeney fletcher died, died a couple months ago i did the funeral funeral and Brian and his wife, Amanda, who is Bill Fletcher's daughter, were at this funeral. And we were talking afterwards a little bit and found out that we were both in recovery. And so it kind of clicked off a whole series of conversation. Found out that he runs Hemingway Unchained Sober Living Homes in Wichita. So I was going, oh, man, I'd love to interview you because I, I interview all kinds of people always talk about spirituality, buddy, but I, I interview people that are Christians and Buddhists and rabbis and every kind of spirituality, kind of the higher power kind of world, you know, that, that the recovery world lives in. But then I, I interview musicians and CEOs and health workers and just kind of all over the map. We always talk, always talk about story and spirituality, but one of my favorite kinds of interviews are people who have, uh, gone through deep, deep tragedy, but also walked out the beauty of recovery. So, uh, I I always feel find a fellow traveler when I find somebody in recovery. So Brian, let's, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. That. So, um, let's, let's just jump in for, with your story. Like where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Grow up all that.
1: Get some of your, or I I was born in Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona in 83. Uh, lived there for most of my life until, um, until I was pretty much 18, 19 years old. And, uh, that's when I moved to Wichita.
0: All right. Tell me, tell me about your family background.
1: Uh, um, my family background, my, my mother and, uh, father, they obviously a broken home. Um, my mom, her family traveled because my grandfather was in the military and they were in France and they were in, Thailand and all over the place, but then they landed in South Phoenix, and uh, that's when she met my father while she was very young, and they started having children, and my father, years later, my father became a drug addict, so we, we grew up moving from house to house because of his addiction, and he would be selling off our products, and people would be looking for him and looking for things, and so while trying to learn how to be a woman, she was trying to be a single mother at the same time, not trying, she was doing it, but yeah, just a lot of torment for a lot of years.
0: Did you have any faith background in all of that?
1: We did. We went to, we went to church. Um, at that time we had went to a church where a real, a real loud church, (laughs) uh, people were loud and jumping around and kicking things over. And it was pretty wild. Um, I was really young at the time, so I didn't really understand what was going on. Like a Pentecostal
0: type church. Yes. Yeah. Speaking in
1: tongues and yeah. And and the pastor would be uh, singing and the whole sermon and stuff like that. So yeah, that was that was quite different. Black church, white
0: church, mixed. It was always black. It was, oh, it was, black. It was black, black church. So black. Yeah, we people. were. Sick guy singing his sermons. Yeah.
1: Uh yeah yeah definitely it was it was wild but I got my love for drumming, I got my love for drumming uh at that church. So you know I started playing the drums there very young.
0: Interesting. Did you, or you self? You self-taught. Did you have a drum teacher?
1: I, I pretty much was self-taught. I did have. I was surrounded by some people um, as I grew up that play, so I did get lessons from them a little bit, learn a few things here and there.
0: Okay. Sweet. So, so in high school, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you involved in any extracurricular stuff like sports or drumming or band? Nothing.
1: Or- Nothing uh, there at the school. I did play play the drums for my youth at the church and uh, that sort of thing at the beginning of high school.
0: Okay. All right. So, what? Tell tell us what happened as a teenager. How'd you get out?
1: As, as a teenager, I I got myself involved in 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 doing drugs and the wrong the wrong crowd. The way that it came to me, obviously, it seemed like it was something cool because. There was a kid that was a little older than me and his father, he was a single father and he met a woman. So he moved into the house with this woman and left his son in this apartment. And he's doing this drug and I look around me and I think, well, as good as his life looks and as much fun as he's having this, this can't be that bad, not bad. And I started doing methamphetamines.
0: That was your, yeah. that was your, like, you didn't start with weed. No,
1: you started I didn't. With- I went. I went directly from not doing anything. The worst thing I probably drank was soda pop to Wow.
0: Wow. Was it instantaneously like you, you wanted it first time? It's really
1: weird how that, how that works because the first time that I ever used it, um, I got sick and I threw up, but I felt good for the rest of the night. And for some reason I was infatuated with wanting to do it again. So I just kept on, kept doing it yeah and it's weird how the devil works because when you when you first start doing something like that it's always offered to you and it's always free and it's always a seems like it's a party or a good party. time it doesn't it doesn't no one tells you that some years later you'll be willing to you know steal from a relative to go buy this stuff it's just all freely given
0: yeah so did it so what kind of habit how 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 long did it take to Develop to uh, like a daily thing.
1: Uh, It developed into a daily thing right away. Um, And like I said, I spent years in Arizona without uh, without getting in any real trouble, but just getting high every day, Uh, skipping out on school, not going to school anymore, and and that sort of stuff.
0: Would it would it ramp you up? Be like an amphetamine where you just got lots of energy.
1: Yeah. It gave me energy. I could, I could, and, and one thing I, I never was really, never felt like I was a smart kid. I never had an intention. I couldn't pay attention to things. I, I always was all over the place. So it also felt like it helped me focus is what I felt like. I didn't realize oh, it doesn't matter if you're focused, you're not focusing on the right things because you're focusing on going to get this drug and be able to use this drug. You're not in class focusing on your schoolwork, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah like the, like Adderall, is kind of like a prescription meth, right? To for some they people, say that. body no. chemistry. It depends on the body chemistry. Like some people do Adderall, Adderall, and it literally mellows them out and chills them out. But like mm-hmm. college kids, you know, high school, college kids start doing Adderall today to study and stay up all late, just like what we used to do on caffeine or something, you know. Yeah. And it it can help at first, but then once you, once you get into it as you know all of a sudden you know at some yeah. point it, it, uh, whether it's alcohol whether it's drugs whatever it is at some point in the progression of the disease all of a sudden the fun is all gone all gone and yeah. you're doing it just to keep from like freaking out getting dt's and like you
1: Yeah, just like like with heroin, heroin's a very bad one. You know, it people start off doing heroin and and they do it to have good. fun or to feel good or relax and the next thing you know, you have to go find the stuff just to be well. I remember people on the streets when I was on meth, you know, yeah, I would be bummed that I didn't have any drugs and I'd be trying to figure out how to get some, but these people would literally be sick and 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 couldn't function, function because they couldn't get high.
0: Yeah yeah I remember when i first i'd been doing xanax and alcohol for two and a half years every night to sleep and when i first started like first time i got off the the xanax i was sick as a dog for yeah. four or five days you know ugh that's miserable um so how how did yours progress into like where did you go from? 15 math, you start doing math and math every day. Uh, Yes, I started doing it every day. And it took me to, I met, you know,
1: people that are, that are doing these types of drugs. They don't really have a gauge on what's smart to do or not. As I look back, what I, what I used to live through, it's just crazy. I, I met a gentleman named Joe Porter. He was a plumber or not a plumber. He was, he worked HVAC or something, but he had money and a house. And just like what drugs do to people, it was just starting to tear his life apart. So he wasn't working. He was living off his savings. And he had another roommate named Jason. And me, Jason, and Joe, and these are grown men. You know, I I try to think like if if a 15, 16-year-old tried to move into my home right now and I'm a single man, I would know there's something wrong with that. But either way it goes, they didn't. And we were just the three musketeers for a while. So, you know, we had, I worked on cars all the time for him and I drove Porsches and And we we just got high and and lived our little drug life and it was yeah so I did that for a long time, Mm. like dropped out of school, just yep completely left completely left school, and just hang out with these guys during the day and and, then you know I realized if I started selling some drugs that I would be able to get more drugs so you know I got into the whole getting getting plenty of drugs to go out here and sell and you know, the women and everything that comes along with that life is, is all we did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's out like, Hey, I could sell this just to get, just to get my, and then (laughs) it goes from there. right? (laughs)
1: Yeah. It just, it just progressed and
0: yeah. So how, how many years was that, was that world going on? I'm pretty bad with numbers, but
1: quite a few, I mean, I know my, Clean time. I know how long I've been clean, but as far as that goes, um, what's your sobriety? I didn't. I, I didn't come to Kansas until I was at least at least nineteen years old. 19. My sobriety October October twentieth of of mm-hmm. um, and it really is. Even though that's my real birthday, I know I, the first October first of two thousand fifteen.
0: The twentieth is my birthday, two thousand fifteen. Mm-hmm. Which which day's your birth your which is your October
1: twenty is my physical birthday and then oh, and the first of October is when I got I got clean, got back with my wife, and Okay. Everything was,
0: was a lot better. Good, good, good. So okay, so so tell take us down that road a little bit. You got married before you got, got sober?
1: Well, no, I got well, clean no. and, and got I, I moved out here with my brother who was stationed uh here, he was in the military. So he came to Arizona because he got some leisure time and he come across me and here I was with designer clothes on. I was doing well at the time with money because I was selling drugs and doing whatever I was doing. And I got these designer clothes on and a beautiful car and all these things. And he takes me aside and he says, man, you're, you're dying. You know, I probably weighed 80 pounds and I didn't realize how bad I was looking and what was going on. And he, he wanted me to have a fresh start and he said, all right, and you should just come.'" Come with me to Kansas because there's not going to be much going on out there. Um, It's going to be real kickback and you can, you know, get your weight back on you, work on your GED and get yourself together. So I came out here. Well, needless to say, he was wrong about there not being anything going on (laughs) here in Kansas. If you want to find it, you will. will. So lived with him, did well for quite a while. And I was working at Krispy Kreme Donuts and I did that one stupid move and asked that question to someone I was working with because they were smoking weed at work. Hey man, do you know where to get some of? And that was it. Um, once that happened, and by this time I had a, a child on the way with with my first wife. Okay. Um. So, so I had a child on the way, and wife in Kansas, got, got some in in Wichita, Kansas. Okay. And I, I'm out here now. I'm doing what I was doing in Arizona in Wichita. I no longer live with my brother. Got my own place. I'm based. i running the streets, and I got clean right about a month before my daughter um, was going to be born. I honestly, I hit my knees and prayed to God and said, please take this from me. And he gave me the strength to just pour every flush everything down the toilet. And I went back to my brothers and got prepared for this this child that was on the way.
0: And what year was that?
1: What year would that have been? That's 2006.
0: Okay. So you had a, had a, Baby born in 2006 and six. Yes. yes. All right. And you were clean. I was clean. Okay. So how did, how did, how did that, how did that?
1: Well, now, how did that go back into me being high again? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the way that that worked, I was clean. And, and, and then this female that I was with, um, she ended up pregnant again this was after we had splitting up, but we don't have 15 hours. So I'm going to, we broke up. She was living in Augusta. I was in Wichita. She called me and said, she my friend. Friend. she's my wife at this Wife this." Um, and we were supposed to be getting divorced. So I said, okay, well, if you're pregnant again, she couldn't afford to live on her own. So I moved to Augusta with her. And when I moved Augusta. there to Augusta, I found out that the baby could have been someone else's. So at that point in time, I stopped talking to her and, She got a restraining order on me for no reason, and I was working at a place called Lake Point, and that's where I met my current wife, was at Lake Point, and it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. It was love at first sight and all that stuff, and she knew what I was going through. We ended up getting married later on, and I was working at Cessna, and same thing. is how the drugs came back into play. I asked that stupid question. I really didn't even have to ask there because the guys that I was working with there were already – just open about what they were doing. And it wasn't for Cessna, we were at Cessna, but it was a different group of people that came in and did some stuff. But I started hanging out with those guys and doing the drugs and doing whatever. And I mean, I tormented uh, my in-laws and my wife and family with the way I was living. So you,
0: so like when you left Phoenix, Mm -hmm. you were maybe 19 Yes, You've been with your brother in Wichita, and had a had a season of sobriety. Yes, and then married, had a kid. Um, Two of them, and then you had another season of sobriety. Hmm. But each time at work, you'd find somebody, you would ask him this question, so it it would lead to a relapse.
1: I was a follower, not a leader back then. And I wanted to, I wanted to use, and I wanted to, I wanted that lifestyle. I, I missed the lifestyle all the time. I wanted to be able to be, there was a, there was a freedom that came with that lifestyle um, of being able to not care what the rules are, not care who said you have to do this or be here, or be there. So back then it's not just drug use. It's also immaturity. I was just very immature and that's what I wanted. To, I wanted the freedom. So I didn't, I didn't want to come home to a clean house and a, beautiful wife and eat dinner and do the whole thing and repeat it the next day. I wanted something different to happen every day. I wanted to run the streets. So it wasn't anyone's fault, it was my own. And anytime I got a chance, me asking that question was just me figuring out where I, what I was gonna do. You relapse in your mind well before you actually use a drug. If you decide that you're gonna go do something, then you know you've relapsed in your mind already. And if you don't reach out to the right person, then it'll end up becoming a physical relapse.
0: Yeah. I'm curious on those first those first times that you were sober, mm-hmm. um, um, were, did you just do that totally on your own?
1: I did. I, I thought I was going to, and that's one of the reasons why I continued to relapse I because did, I did I do it on my own. I put it. I put. The, I put it down, and I stopped using the substance and that sort of thing. But, but I didn't get any, any tools in my toolbox whatsoever. I didn't know what a meeting was. i had yeah. never been to a meeting. I didn't know what a sponsor was. The Twelve Steps. I didn't know anything about that. It was just, oh well. I got this child on the way, and this isn't going to fly. So I'm going to quit doing this, and right. probably because I start drinking. So the drinking would make it easier for me not to do. Yeah. The, the meth. So I wouldn't say I was out of my addiction. I was still in my addiction. I was just changing up something that was more socially acceptable.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So your current wife mm-hmm. has walked through a lot, of, a lot of stuff with you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> was she ever in the ad- addiction world or was she more,
1: was she? No, she's never. She's gotten things that she's tried when she was younger, the the average type of deal, but she's never been um, anything like that. And when when I met her, my children were babies that I have from my other marriage, and she kicked into mom mode, and she just, that's what she is. She's a nurturer, and she, she's going to do what's important. She yeah. will put aside what she feels like doing for what's important. So even like drinking, um, she's a regular occasional drinker, and when she got pregnant, not, nope, not drinking, so she just. She's never been an addict. Yeah. Kind of she, jealous, jealous of that sometimes. Right,
0: right. Did she ever have to work through any of like the Al-Anon kind of stuff or the, you know, the like the codependency issue things or anything like that? Mm, no. Not really. Okay. So how many years was she with you while you were using? So you got sober in 2015, right? Yeah. You guys got... You, you'd been, been with her. When did you guys get to get together? I think 2006.
1: When did we get together? 2007. 2000, 2010. Seven. Oh, seven. 2007. 2007. 2006
0: was your dad and Carol. Okay. Yeah. They were so So she she was with you when you were drugging and using for a good seven, eight years. Is that right? Yeah. long um, time. Wow. You're... She wasn't with me. We divorced. Ah. Yeah, and she wasn't, with, wasn't... with
1: her? Yes. And in, in 2015 ah. is when we ended up uh, getting back together. And then even at the beginning of that, it wasn't working out too well. I went back home to Phoenix for a little bit. And and then I came back here 2016 or was it 17? 16. I came back here. and We've just been together ever
0: since. Okay. Wow interesting she's she's uh that's special that she went through that with you left and then came back yeah must be true love love
1: yeah we both love each other for sure that's that's awesome definite
0: so what do you think on each other's nerves sometimes but we love each other yeah i get on my own nerves sometimes you know so (laughs) i thought i was the only person that that could actually happen to but okay (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right so so let's talk about your sobriety you your sobriety date is october 1st 2015 so so this october you'll have eight eight years about is that right i think, I think it's seven so years in 2015 been so this this coming october this coming october yeah 8 years, right? Yeah. I my I my sobriety I is seven, uh, I thought. my sobriety
1: date October 2015. Wow, okay, yeah. 8 years. Going on 8. I'm afraid to count anymore. I don't want to count anymore. Once I get once you get to a certain point, I don't believe you should even even count. It should become your norm, being sober should be what you do. So,
0: yeah, I'm coming up on f- september 10th will be four years for me so congratulations definitely yeah you too so let's talk about how so october first 2015 what what when and what did you do to find sobriety i didn't, I didn't
1: have to do much of anything i was driving down the street and i got pulled over and i had methamphetamines and i had uh, firearms and i had all sorts of things on me and um, Got pulled over, and by the grace of God, I got pulled over because who knows what I would have done that night or been involved in, but I got pulled over by the Wichita police, and um, I had a warrant out for failure to appear on something, and either way it goes, it was my first time ever getting, a- getting arrested where I wasn't going to either get bonded out or hard out. I was going to sit there. I was going to be able to sit there, so um, that was what saved my life, honestly, I feel, is that. God removed me from the streets because that was the only way I wasn't going to stop. I wasn't going to change. He needed to remove me. So the police came and did that. And I'd spent some time in the jail and was away from the drugs and was able to get a clear mind on me and and, and start thinking better. And um, that's when I started praying to God again and and talking to him. Because at this time I had never really had a relationship with God. I just knew church and played the drums and all that teen stuff. But when I got out, I wasn't going to do anything. And that was my promise. God, get me through this. I'm going to get out and do the right thing. If I got to go stand in a park until the right person finds me, I'll go do that. I'm not going to go back to my old people. So that's what I did. I got out and in October, later on in October, and I actually went to a hotel room, and I called my mother in Arizona. And I told her, I said, I don't want to go back. Like I, I don't have money. I don't have nothing out here unless I go back to go try to collect it or get it or talk to a friend, I don't want to do any of that. And she had contacted my wife, ex-wife at the time, because that's the person she can trust. Hmm. So she called uh, Mandy and Mandy for sure. She met me at a Walmart and something moved her to bring my kids. And um, that was it. We went and got a, a hotel for the time because her parents, of course, aren't going to deal with that. And she was staying with her parents. So we went and got a hotel room and, um, went and got another hotel room in Augusta so the kids could get to them from school and it was just crazy God just blessed the whole situation because we had nothing and uh, the gentleman named Craig Patel he owned a hotel in Augusta and he without me asking came and said hey man you want to do a little bit of work so that you know you guys could stay in that room and I'm like yes please we're trying to figure out how we can stay in this room because her parents were not going to deal with me at their house and you know, my, my family didn't have the money to keep sending me money. So that's how that started. And then God also moved because I would take walks and listen to music and I found a house. And I'm talking to the lady who owns the house and I told her where I'm working and what I'm doing. And she says, move your family in the house. So we moved into the house and she waited because my wife was in school full time uh, for her to pay for our rent with some of her you know, tuition money and worked with us and allowed us to move into this house. So we did that. And, um, that's when I, me and her got an argument and I went back to Arizona for a little bit, but she had that home with the children and kept that home. And I went and stayed with my family, my parents while I was out there, Mm. but i absconded from probation. Okay. That was a no, no. So, um, the only reason I got out is because when I went to Arizona, I went to treatment, outpatient treatment. And I also enrolled myself in GED to get a GED. Um, and I was, I was detained before I can get to GED, but I did graduate from the outpatient treatment. So when I got in front of the judge, the judge said, okay, well, since I see you were trying to do whatever you were trying to do, I will let you out. And that's where my recovery really begins. That's when I went to an Oxford house house. Um, the judge would not release me unless I went to an Oxford, so I went to an Oxford, me and my wife would communicate and things slowly started to just grow back into what they should. But at this point in time, I got a sponsor and learned to listen to what he suggested instead of myself. So we just took it really slow, and I I continued to live in Oxford. She stayed in her own place,
0: and and recovery began for me. So when you say Augusta, you're talking Augusta, Kansas. Yes, sir. My mother's from Savannah, Georgia. My dad's from Wichita, Kansas. And there's an Augusta, Georgia, too. And then there's an Augusta, Kansas. Uh (laughs) <laughs> wow! great great so augusta kansas you're living in you're living in an house in augusta or wichita
1: right now we live in augusta we have a home
0: there yeah. yes tell tell people who might not know who are listening um what is the oxford house deal and then oxford, we'll- oxford house is a great um sober, um sober great sober living program um they they
1: have grown rather large they're really really large so it all depends on what you're looking for, but as far as um, their rules, their regulations and the way that they do things, it works. If you apply it and you want to get clean and sober, I had a clean home to to go to every day. I had uh, accountability, which any of us in recovery that have worked a real recovery, know, accountability is everything. So they, you'll get the accountability you need in order to start working and doing the things that you need to do. Um, there's a lot of other great programs as well, but well, Oxford House is where I got my recovery at.
0: Yeah. And just, you know, there could be parents out there or friends out there listening who have a friend or a child or a loved one who's an addict. Oh, yeah. Um, they're, uh, you know, they're desperate to, to try to help. You know, obviously we can only be there if somebody reaches out. Right. But, but There are Oxford houses all over America, right? Probably most. They are
1: all over the place.
0: Houses. These are, they have homes for women, homes for men, women and children. Yeah. Women and children. And if you are in an Oxford house, typically you're going to, you know, you have to commit to sobriety. You have to work a job. You have to help pay the rent. You have a sponsor. You're working the 12 steps. Equal
1: equal expenses.
0: Equal expenses shared
1: is what they call it not rent but equal expenses share everyone's equally responsible you have a comptroller there that's going to tell you what you guys have in the bank and is responsible to do food shopping for the house you vote on everything so so everyone just equally pl- uh, pays
0: their part and you're probably getting drug and drug tested what probably randomly or weekly or you get, you get random drug test um sometimes if you
1: it depends on your behavior sometimes if, if you seem like you're Having some issues, you're going to get drug tested. If you have to spend time away from the home and go visit family for a week, or a week, come back after work, you're going to get drug tested to make sure that you know you you stayed solid.
0: Yeah, and Oxford is a twelve step program, right? They use the twelve steps. It is. Houses yes. Yeah. And so you started going to meetings mm-hmm. when you were when you were living in their house. Yes. You go to meetings. Inside the house or uh, meetings outside? outside?
1: You have a certain amount of outside meetings that you have to hit. Okay, I would go to outside meetings.
0: So you found a, did you find a home hall, like a, like, like your home home group kind recovery of recovery in progress. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah. So take us from there. So you, and your you, you and your wife, your kids got back together again at some point. Yeah. Well, and, we
1: got back together at the together point where I, I went to a place called Hemingway House. It was called Hemingway House at the time. It was an apartment complex, and that was all that they had was the apartment complex. And there was a young lady named Tracy Hall that was running the place at the time. And I had moved into that program because I graduated from having to be at an Oxford house, and I could actually be in an apartment. So I wanted to go there to have my own apartment so my kids could come over and things like that. Um, Well, my wife ended up moving in with the kids into an apartment there. And it was during a time that I, the place was in a transition and I started working for uh Hemingway House. And that's when I became their 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 lead there that ran the whole program and it was in charge of everyone there and stuff like that.
0: Cool. What year was that? What year was that? 2016, maybe <laughs> 2018.
1: Eighteen.
0: Okay. Yep. So tell me who who what is what is the name Hemingway? Unchained, what does that represent?
1: I, I would be lying if I said that that, that <clears throat> represented anything. Um, I know there's a writer named Hemingway or something like that that, yeah. that pretty much almost sued the old Hemingway for like, that use his quotes or something. The only reason why the You're word in. Hemingway is still in the name of my sober livings, honestly, is because I've worked my behind off alongside of other people that work their behinds off for the community to un- to know who we are. Mm-hmm. So now that I own it, and now that it's it's Hemingway Unchained, um, one day I'm I'm probably take the Hemingway out of it. It's just that I have to discuss that with people who have worked their butts off to really, you know, get the community involved in what it is we're
0: doing. Yeah, and it has a had a little bit of branding behind it, and some yeah. some equity in it, and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So tell us about Hemingway Unchained, sober living. You you. You own and run this. It's a, Is it a nonprofit organization?
1: It's not a nonprofit organization. And the reason why it is not is because um, I am not savvy enough in business to have a nonprofit. With a nonprofit, so many people think that it's just come up with a name and pick a few people. Um, there's, there's way too much that goes into a nonprofit if you don't know what you're doing and you're not doing it right. And that's what happened with the old Hemingway. I was working with people that had... They're about the money. About the money. Just, just, let's just be blunt. They wanted to rent houses and they wanted to get big money back from the houses being rented. And they owned houses and properties. And the way we were moving was as a profitable company, and it, it was very, very illegal. Some of the things that were going on. So I was gonna step away from the whole thing and do my own thing. And and we went and sat down with a professional and the lady who runs these other five hundred one c threes. And she was like, No, you guys can't be on your board and own a house that is. Making money, so either way it goes. My wife, my mother in law, and I came up with our name and uh started our own LLC, where it would be easier. Where it's just, hey, pay our taxes and make sure we do what we're supposed to be doing. That way, we can help the community.
0: Yeah. So, when did you start start this? And tell us about the actual situation. Like, do you, do you own houses own houses, or how many people are I
1: you? Do, Okay. I don't own any of the houses. I rent the houses um, at this point in time. One day in the future, maybe I'll own some of the houses. But right now we rent the homes. Um, it makes it, like I said, a lot easier as far as taxes go and all that. We just all show that them that we're renting, what we're paying as far as utilities. Uh, we, we just focus more on the, the the clients. And that's what I I like to do is that's where my gift from God is, is to be dealing with the clients, talking to them. Giving them rides, giving them advice, taking people like if if someone moved out to Kansas City and man, I have a court date in Kansas City. I don't know how I'm going to get there. We will actually take them to Kansas City and and do those sorts of things um, to make sure they get to their court dates. So just having a heart for for the people. I know that God will bless and that money will be made, but I don't want to focus on solely just trying to be making money. I want to focus on having a solid program that I'm actually able to be used by God to do what he wants me to do.
0: So do you have more than one house right now?
1: We have four homes at the moment, soon to be five.
0: Okay. So you, you got soon to be five. And are these, all, are these all mm-hmm. homes right now?
1: They I men? have one female's home. Okay. And I have um, right now we have three men's homes. Um, We don't have anything for women and children or men and children yet, but we're going to work on that. And we also are trying to figure out how to do something more oh, about oh, mental oh. health because there's a, in in Wichita, at least there's a little bit of lagging in 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 the area of mental health, which mixes in with addiction, and and you get some people that just don't quite fit in with the regular crowd. So we're trying to see how we can we can help with that, help with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um um. So how many how many people are you serving right now through the four homes, soon to be five? I wish I had my list in front of me. I would, you know, the the
1: women's house I know beds eight women. Um, my larger house, uh, we we can have twelve men in it, and and they're all full. They're always full. Um, that's why we're getting ready to open up another one. So I wouldn't. Do I have? A, do we have a list here? Probably got how many people, people we have in the program?
0: Thirty plus people at least. At least like, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thirty-two,
1: and it's it's a lot smaller scale right now than than what it was when we had the complex, but but definitely it's better.
0: And are you, do you set this up? Like, is there a, like a house lead that kind yes. of runs the program? Do you run it similar to what, to what Oxford do you have? Some of the, we, same- run,
1: we run very similar to Oxford house. I mean, and, and let's just be, let's just be real about it. Anyone who has a sober living out there that's doing anything serious is going to have some similarities to an Oxford house. Yeah. Um, but but we're we're a little bit different in the in the in how personal we're able to get with them just because we're not as on big of a scale. Um, I actually have paid people who work for me instead of it being where you're just a house president and you do it for free and you go work a job. I have an assistant that this is her job. This is what she does, and she uh, she gets paid for doing her job. And then my house presidents, we try to groom them to one day be able to have a position to make money as well. In this, they don't pay rent if they're my house president and they just that we we do a lot more training and get in depth with them on how we like to do things. We're also the only uh, sober living with the contract with KDOC. So Kansas department of corrections give, sends all their people to us. We keep a certain amount of beds for them. Um, so guys that are getting out of prison, they know that they can bring them directly there and we start working with them right off the bat.
0: Awesome. That's good work. Thank you. I am i i I've grown to love the recovery community, so you know I pastored for decades right i'm sixty two so i I got saved out of the recreational drug world at sixteen felt called to be a pastor at sixteen and literally followed that path and didn't get back into drugs or alcohol or anything until i was i was like in my fifties i was in I was an was n And, uh, tried to start treating my insomnia for the first time when I was in my mid fifties, went to a psychiatrist. He tried me on a number of different sleep aids, but the thing that worked really great was Xanax. And and I look back, I wish I'd had never gone down that road, but, um, the Xanax road anyway, because what happened was it worked great for about nine months, then wore off. And then I was. Then I started throwing alcohol on top of it. And then and then the Xanax alcohol combo I basically did every night for two and a half years. And it led me, it messed my brain up and caused me to do all kinds of stupid things. <laughs> so I'm i I'm pastoring this uh large growing mega church with a few thousand thousand people and I'm, you know, just basically gradually going off the rails and Ended up costing me everything except, except for my life, you know. But I literally lost everything, and uh, so I, having lost all of all of that, uh, I wound up in an AA program, you know, about three and a half years ago, and have just grown to. So I'm really networked with broadly with the recovery work in Kansas City, both. Uh, jesus-centered 12-step groups as well as higher power 12-step groups i work i work in both worlds you know and uh i've done interviews with all kinds of people like yourself here in kansas city from from, uh, joe reed at the healing house to uh, carl carl Wu at uh, artists helping the homeless to uh the uh, welcome house here with the Jamie Boyle, these are all people like yourself who are leading programs with with houses, with apartments for men, women, children. It's really and I tell you some of the most inspiring stories that I've ever come across, I come across in the recovery community. You know, like people people like yourself. I mean, people, if they would have intersected you at a certain time, in your life, they probably would have counted you out and not given you any hope.
1: Oh, there, yeah, definitely. I, I counted myself out. Now, when it's bad, when you're sitting somewhere and you can't imagine your life any other way. And you go ahead and make, make peace with, oh, I'm just going to be like this for the rest of my life. So, you know, I'm going to die alone in some local apartment and just do my drugs. And that's okay, as long as I have my drugs. Like, that's when it's, it's bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so now you with these years of sobriety under your belt now you're you're working the program you're giving it back you're you're, you're seeing other, you're investing in other people people I'm sure do, do you have some fun stories that kind of stand out to you over the last couple two or three years
1: uh, not not really it's, uh, unfortunately um, because of the way that I was pulled into starting off, uh, running and being in charge of sober livings i've spent the whole time a lot of the time in business and, and the business end of it and i've been taken advantage of a lot uh by a lot of people and then breaking away from that and trying to it's just been a lot a lot of work i've recently um I've just been kind of standoffish a little bit and been in the background a little bit just taking a break because i think the important thing about addiction and and doing what we do if you're a pastor if you're someone who pours out it's very important for us to get time management down because what we do is we pour out pour out pour out until we're empty and Mm -hmm. then we're not if we're not focusing on getting anything from anywhere that we need then what happens is our emptiness can take us right back to exactly what you described as wanting to get some sleep taking some xanax to drinking to whatever the case is and and unfortunately the the communities are not Mm -hmm. as Forgiving on us when on we do, us. when we admit or we say we've done something wrong, they're not as easy on us as we are. So then it can make you even more upset because you're like, wow, as many people as I help and I listen to. So for the last maybe six months, I've been kind of backing up, planning, seeing where God wants me to be and how He wants me to be there instead of jumping in with all fours. Because when I'm jumping in with all fours, there's going to be people who hurt your feelings, there's going to be people who you, you had confidence in that let you down. There's going to be all sorts of things like that. And I think that what happens to us leaders is is sometimes we just get, we get empty. So um, I'm trying to work on time management right now. I've got some children that are going to be graduating soon and I've got some great leaders that work with me. So yeah. kind of letting them step in and do some of the, some of the hands-on work um, and um and just kind of growing our company. We just, for the first time got set up to do our taxes and I've never done this before, you know, so I'm trying to, trying to figure that out. So any advice that any good Christian God fearing business people have for me, I'm glad to take, I just don't want to, I don't want to mess with any, uh, um, what's that body brokers. Like, I, I believe that that goes on a lot and I'm not a body broker and don't want to deal with any.
0: Yeah. 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 I use a. I have a, you know, just like a good, uh, Christian bookkeeping company here in Kansas city uh, that I hire to do to make sure I dot all my I's cross all my T's in terms of my, my, my spirituality adventures. And then the church I pastor two nonprofits and uh, I always just try to get a good accountant bookkeeper, keeper that knows who on and keeps me on, gotta the, have it. keeps me on the rails, you know? So, yeah. Um, well, I'm, so when people come to your, one of your homes right now, What's the typical? Is there is there a month like like is it a six month program? Is it a is it a one gram? Is it a nine month program? We don't,
1: we don't put anyone. If if you're doing well there, you can stay as long as you want to stay. We are a grow or go program.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So grow or go means that we basically want to see that you're not stagnant. Um, if you're just sitting there and and life is life and you're not if growing, you're not. you don't have anything positive going on in your life. That's a problem. So we we encourage people definitely just like oxford or any other there's some other great sober livings that are out here too and we encourage people to go to meetings go to church go to you know get involved in some things uh, we don't force people to go to church but but you know we we encourage them we'll give them rides if they want to go to church we'll pick you up take you uh but i have a house that i think no one's th- no one has moved out of no the only the only revolving beds is the kdoc beds because the kdoc contract they put people in there for a certain amount of time and that's it and then they move them out but the guys that live in that, that house they in. won't but they just won't they're happy so to me if i need space for newcomers i'll just go open another house i'm not gonna force those guys to move out or anything like that they're comfortable with each other they're following all the rules they're they're growing they've got people who don't have licenses or getting their licenses back and jobs and better jobs, jobs, and better so jobs. dressing
0: yeah yeah
1: it's good stuff as far as the women i don't i don't involve myself in it um I don't believe that I have something to offer to anything one-on-one with with another woman or going into a women's house. Women should be they should be comfortable in their home. They should know that their leader is gonna be someone who's the same as they are. So my that's how my assistant manager came about. She's been wonderful and she helps us run everything. But when it comes to women, she deals directly with the women. My wife will step in sometimes if something needs done, but the women don't need men coming in. And getting on them or saying nothing to them so they deal with women directly
0: yeah yeah it's good stuff so when you think about like uh, when when the 12 step program talks about you know those first three steps deal with surrender right admitting you're powerless that your life's unmanageable and then moving into that surrender to your higher power and then then you've got that step 11 where we're You're talking about, you know, prayer, prayer, and so the spiritual, the spiritual. Well, how did how did that work for you? The spiritual side of your recovery, how did that play out for you?
1: Well, the spiritual side of my recovery is I I learned that um, I'm not perfect and I can't be, so Mm -hmm. I kind of stopped trying to challenge myself to be perfect because I'm just like any other. I'm sure a lot of other God-fearing men and women to where, you know, if you feel like you've let God down or disappointed him, you feel like you can't talk to him. You can't pray. You can't go around the people that are that are a certain way. So um, I really had to learn that I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't a terrible person. I just needed to change some things in my life. So when my spiritual awakening was definitely, it helped me to stop trying to be perfect. So that way, if I made a small mistake, it didn't turn into a large mistake and a larger mistake large because research. I got away. I pushed him out of my life because I was, I was, I was ashamed, and I thought he was ashamed. I know that God loves me all the time, no matter what. So therefore, if I'm doing something wrong, you know, yeah. then repent, move on, fix it, whatever the case is, and that, that helped me a lot. My sponsor, I have one of the best sponsors in the world named Troy Sherbin. He comes out to Kansas City a lot, um, but we went through the steps, and and the steps truly are uh, tools for the toolbox. Mm-hmm. I think that cognitive thinking uh, classes or any sort of studies with that, and also the twelve steps is great, which
0: is great. Yeah. that's good stuff. yeah, i I did a little bit of uh, therapy, like so I was in the recovery twelve step world, going to meetings. I also got into therapy in it and I did like DBT, which is dialectical. Behavioral therapy, which has a cognitive component to it, um, mm-hmm. another one called family systems. Um, so those were mental health components for me that I I just just needed just needed to work stuff. You know, my own emotions, my own thoughts, my own. I hated myself. Like I had failed. My my failure was. You know, I ended up on the front page of the Kansas City Star Sunday edition, megachurch pastors, pastor, go cab. You know. So it was a big public thing here in Kansas City, and I felt humiliated and ashamed and for being a human. Probably didn't care if I died, actually. That was so so much shame. I I had self self hatred. So part of my healing and sobriety was learning to forgive and love myself again, you know. I mean, that was actually harder hard that was actually the hardest part for me, I think, was to to myself and to own to own my story and say, hey, this is it. This is what I did and make amends.
1: Yeah, the Lord, you know. I understand completely. That's why I tell a lot of people, like you can tell the way some people start to look at you when you're their pastor or when you're their leader in the house or you own something. And i tell them all the time, you know, look at God, look at Jesus, look at God. It's okay. If you like something or that I've done and you think it's wonderful, but it is not me look, because that's what happens. When, when something happens, you're not a human all of a sudden anymore. You're you're, how could you ever do this? Well, you're, we're all, we're all battling the same things here on this earth Yeah. I and mean, we're just being used by God to do what we do. So sometimes we may make a mistake. It could happen, yeah. but unfortunately, because we're on such a pedestal to some people, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. Cause I, even, even as a leader of a growing and, you know, quote, successful church, I, I would never, I'd always try to be authentic and, you know, get myself off the pedestal. Right. I tell and, and and make myself the hero of every story I told. I would tell my foibles and tell my faults, but but it seems like in the people still have a tendency to put you there even if you're honest and vulnerable, right? And then and then when you mess up really big, then they're like shocked. <laughs> yeah.
1: Everybody everybody I mean that's what we're groomed for. Look at the T V shows and look at the things we watch. We're groomed to wait for a hero or a Superman or a Batman or something. And when you give somebody a little glimpse of hope that you, you know, that you telling your truth and your downfall, just having the courage to do that will make them even more. So, Oh wow, this is great. And then, but still, like you said, when, when, when something goes wrong, you know, but I mean, they even look what they did to
0: Jesus. So I know know, we're nowhere near who he is. Right. 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 Um, so how, how do you, what are some key things for you? Like you say, you're stepping back a little bit, trying to do some self-care, I'm assuming.
1: Well, yeah, it's what, the recovery community here can be very loud. And what's going on out here right, right now in, in Wichita is there is a lot right. of new, a lot of new um, sober livings. After we had the whole Corona thing go, there's mm-hmm. a lot of investors and a lot of people with money looking for something to do to make some passive income. So you've got a lot of people branching off and, and there's a lot of houses and names and this and that. I want mine to be authentic. I want mine to continue to be authentic. So I'm very involved with my sober living, but I'm I'm involved with slowing down. I'm just kind of in the background, meaning I'm not out advertising and making the community know, hey, look at us. We're over here because to me, it looks too much like all the others, not all the others, all the others are jumping off right now. And there's not people who don't have a heart for it. There's people who don't have a heart for it that are starting to do what they do. And I don't want to be recognized as one of those. I just want for my my stuff to be authentic. If God sees fit for me to only have six houses, ever. Ever. I want to do what He has for me. I don't want to do twenty or thirty or forty. You know. So I just kind of slowed down and and just I, everyone doesn't know everything we have going on because they don't need to. And we need to focus on the ones that we do have. And and we're doing that, so it's just been very very loud community out here. So I don't I don't go out to a lot of meetings right now, um, just because I don't agree with some of the stuff going on, and I just don't want to be involved in it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So what do you I'd do rather hit some Zoom meetings? Okay. okay. So what okay. I'm just like, what were some? What are some of the key things you're trying to do? You know, just just for your own. Self care, maintenance, that kind of thing. Zoom, uh,
1: church, going to church and okay. uh, prayer, meditation, Zoom meetings. I'm gonna do some in California, California to get with a different group. Just do some Zoom meetings with, with some faces I don't know. Get out of my comfort zone, okay, a little bit, and do that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I work. I have a job, so you know, I got a job because I started doing this job because I was going to get some of my guys from my house is hired here and I thought I could get a feel for the way things work. And I've been sown so, un- so much love here that I just decided to stick around. So I work for a place called the mattress hub and I'm one of the warehouse managers and I get to come here and you're and as you can see, I'm here now and I'm on the, on the phone with you. So we all support each other and what we do. And uh, the owner became the County commissioner now, but he, he helps a lot of uh, people in recovery, gives them jobs, gives them second chances okay. and things like that. So.
0: Well, I tell you, um, recovery community, like people like yourself, you know, once you get sobriety under your belt, just the fact that you're, you continue to be there for new people, it's so powerful. I mean, I have known people, people come to the, you know, the recovery world when they're, they could be close to being dead. Yeah. Close to being in jail or prison close to being homeless or they are homeless or they have lost everything they've have lost their families or have lost nobody believes and leaves in them anymore and the community the one the people that are there are the people like us that continue to reach out and do meetings and show up for people and it's and that's what keeps it going it saves lives.
1: There's a lot of great people that are out here doing great work. We have a group here called Reaching Out, um, and it's great. It's it's just on. A, it's a messenger, and what it is is um, most of the leaders in most of the Oxford houses that are presidents are on it. Um, you have Second Chance Second out here. It's called Second Chance Bell Bonds. They have a Bell Bonds, and they have some houses. You have Wichita Bonding Co. You have some good groups of people, and we're all on this Reaching Out chat because if say I've had someone for three times I've let them move in my house and it's just not working out. Instead of sending them off to the streets, I can put them on that reaching out chat and say, Hey, obviously they need something different than what we have to offer. Is there anyone willing to move this person in, give them an interview, couch this person. So we're all connected out here in in, in a way so that we can continue to help the community.
0: Well, that's cool. That's cool. People, uh, if, if, wants to get a hold of you in Wichita or somebody has a a referral or something like that how how do they get a hold of how to, uh what's the way to get a hold of Hemingway Unchained Sober Living
1: well we have a direct line which is my phone number they can call um um I mean the, all the POs know about it. so a lot of times it has to do with probation um when once we expand to like Kansas City or somewhere like that what I like to do is make it a point to let the judges and the lawyers and the all the all that system though, because in in addiction, most of us end up dealing with those people. So I, I like to deal with the probation officers and find out what it is that they would like to see us do, and what they're struggling with, and what we can you know how we can perform to help them with their clients. And and that's a lot of times our phone calls come from the POs. They hey, I got a client here. Our our their client calls us because they told them they need to call us. And like I said, then if we're not able to help that person, if I got a call from Kansas city and I can't help a person cause I'm full or something, I have all the resources in the world to get them talking to an Oxford house or get them talking to another program. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Simply,
1: simply by Picking up the phone and getting on that chat.
0: Yeah. So there's a, there's a phone number. Is there a website? Is there a we Facebook? Do, we do have a website. I'll have to send that to you. We,
1: we have a website. Okay. We do have a Facebook page. Um, but the website's what I want to start using more. I'm I just okay, going to get it out there.
0: Okay. So Hemingway unchained sober unchained living. Sober living. If yes, you so. Google that, what comes up? I have no idea. <laughs> so Google
1: Hemingway unchained sober living. Let's see. I've got a bunch of phones so I can do it. Let's see.
0: But let's see. Oh, it popped. I had already Googled it. So it popped right up on mine. Did it pop up? Yep. Hemingwayunchain.org. Oh, there, there, there it is. Heming, Hemingwayunchain.org That's it, right? Three one five zero one one six eight. 01168 That's me. All right. There it is, folks. Go to HemingwayUnchain.org. And um there's a resource source there in Wichita. And Brian, thanks so much for doing this, for sharing your story. Um, very welcome um, thanks for having me in touch especially if you if you come to kansas city um you know i can i've got a lot of network here and uh oh, yeah. and then i'm a wichita wichita kid so i was born in wichita so i was just so i out
1: there i want to check out a meeting or two so i'll definitely hit you up personally about that
0: i've got an extra room if you need a place to stay you're welcome to to um you know stay in i, I have free rent with my with my with my friends who stay here. So, you know, not no. permanently, just, uh, no, I just, kidding. anyway. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. you. So. It's great to hear your story. I love to hear another story of a person who's uh, gone through the miracle of recovery and is continuing to, to reach other people. That does good to my soul. So, thanks so much, Brian. Thank Amanda, you. thank you. Appreciate it. Jesus, All right. Well, so glad to. <laughs> so, glad to, so glad to connect connect with you guys around uh, the recovery world and i will uh i'll be praying for you guys so take care and Thank let's you. stay in touch you as well all right thanks everybody for tuning in to spirituality adventures and we'll see you next time this concludes today's episode thanks for tuning in and listening remember if you're watching on youtube subscribe to my youtube channel Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation. Or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.